It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the most important principle for Facebook. Every piece of content that you share on Facebook, uh, you own. And you have complete control over who sees it and, and how you share it. And you can remove it at any time. That's hilarious, Mark Zuckerberg. That That's is astounding. hilarious. That's him testifying before Congress a couple of months back that got so much attention. Mark Zuckerberg went on to lie. Sean, he went, he went on to lie. Are you willing to give me more control over my data? Senator... As someone who uses Facebook, I believe that you should have complete control over your data. I like the way he seems. Ah! I like the oh, way Zuckerberg oh seems goodness. offended by the question. Oh, Senator, Senator, as someone who's on Facebook, you have complete control over your own data. Oh my God, I can't believe you even asked that question. Oh, let me clutch up my little heart. Oh, I'm offended you even insinuate. Jeez, oh, what kind of getting the vapors? What kind of an act was that? So I, I, I guess I'm just dumb. Uh, he looks so cute and innocent, it's difficult for me to believe that he is knowingly lying. Is he a dupe? Is he being duped by people beneath him? And he believes that's true? I mean, just, it just, he, it, it seems astounding that he would just sit there and that openly lie to the world. As we now know from the New York Times, 
Their article that came out a couple of days ago, if you didn't see it, and you might have because it's gotten so much darn attention, um, the, 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 um, the title of it being, As Facebook rise, Raised a Privacy Wallet Carved Out an Opening for Tech Giants, Internal documents show that social network gave Microsoft, Amazon, Spotify, and others far greater access to the people's data than it has disclosed. In other words, they lied. Right. And in crossing a a real line for a lot of people, gave a number of these big apps, uh, tech companies, access to your private messages. Gave access to all of your contacts without asking you specifically. And at the point where... Netflix or or whomever, and I I don't have the list in front of me. Well, I have Facebook allowed Facebook allowed Microsoft's Bing search engine for anybody who uses Bing to see the names of all your Facebook users' friends without consent. The records show and gave Netflix and Spotify, which a lot of people do use, the Mm -hmm. ability to read Facebook users' private messages, which is just unconscionable. So your most private, your most unguarded, your most cherished contacts with the people you love are being you know, mined by Spotify to make more money. And here's the here is the the, the truth that makes Facebook's lies not quite lies. And that is in the reams of user agreements that you have clicked on. It says in very, very vague language that got by the lawyers, but in the real world, of course, it's just mystifying. You said you may share my data with technology partners, and then it goes on to describe what circumstances, which are completely incomprehensible, with what limitations, which are completely incomprehensible. And then at the very end of it, and I've I've gone over enough, uh, you know, radio industry contracts to know. Often at the very end of it, there's a little clause that essentially says, and any other use that we see fit. Um, the uh, the God sentence at the end. And so, uh, so that is really the only defense for that astounding, astounding assertion by Zuckerberg on Capitol Hill. That, no, any, everything is done with your permission. And with your knowledge, reading you know, in the real the, world, nobody agrees with that. Correct. Reading from the New York Times, the social network Facebook permitted Amazon to obtain users' names and contact information through their friends and let Yahoo view streams of friends' posts as recently as this past summer, despite public statements from Facebook that had stopped that type of sharing years earlier. So what you're saying is Facebook, Zuckerberg, and others were, were lying when asked by reporters or Congress, but technically, legally speaking, we all agreed to this. So, uh, so they're right when they say, "No, you agreed to it." Yes, as, as far as I understand it. Although it's a multi-layered thing, because if in the uh, example you just gave, uh, gave letting Yahoo view your streams of friends' posts as recently as this summer, they said on the record, "No, we've stopped that. We haven't let anybody do that for years." So, even if it were permitted in the user agreement, I might argue, even if I had specifically called Mark Zuckerberg at home and said, Hey, Mark, Joe Getty here. I want you to know it's fine if you let Yahoo view my friend's posts. Okay? If I were to do that specifically, and then he were to come to me and say, say, this summer... Dude, we haven't done that for years. We would not do that. We have not done that. That would still be an egregious lie. And and 
and evidence that the entire relationship is just diseased. So, I need, Sean, you tell me. You, you take in a lot of media from that side. Is there anybody standing up for Zuckerberg who doesn't think he's a liar? No. I, is there a constituency out from there? Because it looks to me that right, left, and center, everybody thinks he's a liar. I've heard zero defense of Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. So it's just, it's just universal now. We, we all know that when he sat there and talked to Congress or he gives various interviews, he's just plain lying, the same as if he was, you know, a BP oil executive about a spill or the tobacco company back in the 80s or any of those people. He's just a guy who runs a giant gazillion dollar company who lies to your face. I right. hope everybody's catching on to that. Uh, it is uh, just astonishing to me uh, that he's able to get away with this. I think the worm is turning in terms of the reputation it's gotta of be Facebook over. and this sort of thing. But um, the point was made by an activist dude who I uh, I don't recall his name. I, I disagreed with at least half of what he said. I mean, he was just a way out there, you know, socialist, social justice warrior, wants the government in control of everything guy. But he did make a couple of good points, one of which, which was even if, like, the delete Facebook movement really took hold... Facebook and companies like Facebook and Facebook's partners, they would find ways to continue doing this and to get us um, in ways that we find unpalatable and or are already illegal. And so it needs to be there needs to be a regulatory framework for it. We need um, to do I, what Europe did. Uh, the the sixty minute story on that a couple of uh, months ago. That's that's the model we need. The way Europe handles it. This information belongs to you. It's your personal property. And unless you click on a document specifically saying, I'm willing to give that up, I mean, you have to opt in. The right. assumption is you want to keep your own personal property. That needs to be the model, obviously. Right. The argument that, well, you willingly use these platforms, I get that. It's just unrealistic in the modern world that I'm not going to use these platforms. Right. It's it's a tough thing for a libertarian-minded fellow like myself to to advocate for a new regu- regulatory framework just because you've got uh, bu- bureaucrats are are famously horrifically lead-footed and you will institute regulations for something like I don't know, I don't know, you know, canoe rentals. And 2 months later the canoe rental companies have either found their way around those regulations or they've invented new kinds of canoes that are wonderful and aren't even, you know, uh, held or they aren't even uh, covered by the regulations. And then those are outlawed when they're great. And then six months later, there's a hearing. Two years later, legislation actually passes, by which time, you know, the canoe people are way, way ahead of that. And so regulatory schemes are are awful in their function. Some are important and necessary, but generally speaking, they're awful. And if you apply that to tech, I mean, unless you have like our best and brightest every single day getting together and rejiggering the regulations, I mean, we would just now be getting around to uh, regulating icons on MySpace. You know, it'd be in front of Congress right now. It w- I understand your argument that it would be slow, but I, I don't understand why it would be that complicated to say my web history is my private property. I think you could probably do that, and Europe has done a pretty good job of it. And again, I hate to use the euros as models for anything. I rarely really, but, do, but I think they're yeah. right on this one. Um, yeah. Reading more from this New York Times article that's gotten so much attention, Mark Zuckerberg, the chief executive, assured lawmakers in April that people have, as we just played, complete control 
Senator, over everything you share on on, on Facebook, the New York Times goes on to say, but the documents, as well as interviews with about 50 former employees at Facebook and its corporate partners, reveal that Facebook allowed certain companies access to data despite those protections. They also raised questions about whether Facebook ran afoul of a 2011 consent agreement with the Federal Trade Commission. So the New York Times is claiming, and interviewing a whole bunch of former employees of Facebook and other companies, that they are actually doing some things... Uh, that even in their legalese, they shouldn't be doing. Well, right. And that FTC agreement in 2011 barred them from using your data without explicit permission. But, God, Facebook has the most clever, evil, soulless attorneys on the planet working on this stuff constantly. So they can say one thing, but worm their way into a different reality where they can continue doing uh, what they're doing. See, I was willing to believe that, and, and this might be of how it started, that Mark Zuckerberg, like a lot of these tech guys, they just, for whatever reason, they were young, they're, they're techies, they're lefties, they're whatever. They didn't think we cared about our private data. I was willing to believe that, well, he didn't realize that we would care about this. But the evidence would, would, would point to the fact that even when it was pointed out to him, people do care. They hate it. They hate it a lot. Um, he still continued to do it, right? And lied about it, and and lied and claimed that they weren't. So, you know, there's just no excusing the behavior of Facebook, and particularly Mark Zuckerberg. He's just a damned liar. And so I heard NPR doing a story on this this morning, and they they were putting it on the fact that our our Congress people are so damned old that they don't quite get what's going on. That plays right. a role, but you can't ignore the amount of lobbying money from big tech. As we mentioned oh, the other day, Google spent more money than anybody, than right. anybody lobbying both sides of the aisles. That's got a lot to do with it. Absolutely, it does. You know, this is neither here nor there, but and I have no idea what Facebook's cost structures look like, but what if they just like never used our data for anything and it cost $3 a month? With, with, with billions of or uh, users? Or five or ten you, or, or fifteen ninety nine. You would think that would be in an insanely profitable uh, business with the billions of people that are uh, using it. And and all your stuff would be private all the time. Yeah. I don't, you know, Lord knows we pay for a lot of stupid stuff in the, you know, subscription form these days. But Yes, Michael. No, it's one thing for people to hate Facebook and what they're doing, but they got to stop using it. And Zuckerberg may say, hey, they may hate it, but you know what? A lot of people still using it, and that's all that matters And to it's really hard to get out of New York Times with an article yesterday. Actually, it's in the paper today on how to delete your Facebook account, but it ain't easy. Yeah. I would just, I would love it. I mean, of people I'd like to see laid low, <laughs> I don't want any physical to happen, but if Mark Zuckerberg ended up broke and hated by everyone, couldn't walk the streets because people hate, hey, you're a liar! I think that would just be awesome. Can I pelt him with garbage now and again as he used to stroll across stages in his t-shirt all around the world to adoring crowds? What a liar he is. I can't believe Congress let him get away with that crap. I don't know, Senator. I have to get back. What do you mean you don't know? You you came up with the idea. You lying. Go ahead. You're on a roll. I was going to say something bad. Oh. Thought better of it. Salty language. Mm-hmm. I stayed away from it. Well, let me sign off by pointing out that uh, their Facebook's uh, a little brother, their cousin Google, which is actually their big brother, right, uh, has uh, consorted at length with the Chinese government to help oppress the Chinese people. 
but has turned up their nose at uh, providing cloud storage for the American military. So that's who we're dealing with, folks. People got to catch on. Your tech heroes. People Google got- it, people! Google it! <laughs> Thank you, Vince. we got to catch on to what these, uh, these big tech companies are capable of and are doing. So this um, wrinkle that is Syria, Trump saying we're getting out. Man, that's caused a lot of conversation back and forth. We should jump into that at least a little bit. And the alien invasion last night. Holy cow, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Oh, that's the label man said, son, now can you sing a little bit? I definitely appeared really close. It did not look like, you know, the distance of a shooting star when you see a shooting star in the sky. I mean, it looks pretty close. As one man on the street who saw the alien invasion last night in the sky, if you missed it, there are uh, pictures everywhere, including at armstrongandgetty.com or check our Twitter feed. I. I posted my picture of it. Um, Marshall's got the latest on that coming up. They think they know what it was. So well, I, I tell you what, I'm just glad that I still uh, have a stock of uh, my Oxycontin from after my surgery. Because when the when the uh, aliens start the probes, you know, the probes you've heard about, I'm going to want to take a little of the edge off. I can't. I two or three of those in my belly. I can't tell you how excited my kids were about the speculation of what that was in the sky. Oh, that's beautiful. My my youngest, uh, he kept looking at my phone and then, let me see that again. And he would zoom in on it. Hmm, does that look like an eye there? Oh. Or a fin? Does that look like a fin there? Oh. <laughs> sort of space fish. <laughs> Giant airborne space fish. Um, so, yeah, he was he was really into it. It made it difficult for them to get to sleep because they were excited about. Well, how do you not get excited about an alien invasion? But oh my god, it was very, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen in the sky. In my entire life. So, that coming up in Marshall's News, and he's also going to get into the Syria conversation a little bit, too. So, Trump announced yesterday, we're getting out of Syria. Right. Uh, we only have 2,000 troops there. But he says, uh, we're getting out, we beat ISIS, we've got no more national interest in being there. Now, the New York Times, um, David Sanger has written about it, and the the various advisors who agree with him, uh, including a lot of them that were in the Obama administration... A lot of advisors who agree with Sanger or Trump? Agree with Trump. Okay. And a lot of people, and, and just the idea that Trump and Obama seem to be of the same mind on, on this particular topic of there's no national interest in these little Middle Eastern countries in getting in these battles, and we don't do any good anyway, is their argument. Hmm. Um, why does this keep disappearing from my page? Hold on. Here we go. Try it again. Um, I'm sorry. Trying to find the right page here to read from. Well, I, while you're looking for that, okay. uh, if we are not doing any good, that settles the argument, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, you know, and I have been a rather staunch defender of a lot of the president's foreign policy ideas, particularly his treatment of China. I think is going to be a, praised by historians for forever. Okay, that fits I think in. We're taking exactly the right approach. That fits in with this, the end of the article in the New York Times. But I'm really uncomfortable with this one. Uh, okay, and you can explain that. Um, Trump administration national security strategy published earlier this year. This was published. I mean, this was put out there. 
that, you know, nobody pays attention to this sort of stuff. A president puts out their national strategy, but stated outright that countering terrorism was no longer the primary goal of American foreign policy and that dealing with the renewed era of great power competition, specifically China and Russia, was the uh, main goal of the foreign policy, the motivating mm-hmm. rationale. Right. Less time, effort, and money spent on sand countries, more on, look, we're competing for world dominance with China. Well, if you want to throw Russia in there, Russia's trying as hard as it can to assert dominance um, in a coalition with Iran and, and Bashar al-Assad sure, yeah, in that, Syria and the region. So, yeah, that's the counter to, to that. A presence is countering Russia. Yeah, the counter to that would be uh, if Russia takes over Syria and establishes a military base there, what's that do for the great power struggles in the world. Right, right. Well, and it's sad that the president made his announcement after a conversation with uh, Erdogan, a Turkey, who's an Islamist dictator piece of garbage, in my mind, and uh, and a snuffer of journalists and a crusher of human rights and, and you know, and a dangerous presence on the globe. Um, and he wants nothing more than to march in and snuff out our buddies, the Kurds who have been staunch and loyal friends. So we had Mike Lyons on earlier this week on that particular topic because the story had broken that Turkey was was days away from an invading an area controlled by the Kurds, our ally, and wiping them out, and these Kurds are backed by us. And so the reason I wanted to have Mike Lyons on was, what happens if Turkey starts attacking Kurds that we're backing? Are we at war with Turkey? Well, Trump's reaction might have been, well, we're going to pull out of Syria and the Kurds are on their own? We're going to talk to Mike Lyons about that next hour. But That's a pretty ugly situation. Yeah, like every situation in the Middle East, this one is really complicated. I am so sympathetic to arguments on both sides. I'm both sides. I may not be very helpful on this one. <laughs> I'll represent the everyman who's merely befuddled. Right. Uh, Marshall's news coming up. He's going to get into what that was in the night sky for everybody on the West Coast that was paying attention. And this Syria thing that has got Washington, D.C. abuzz because it makes for some interesting bedfellows, no doubt about that. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm telling you, that was a, there was something weird going on there. Military testing new rockets to uh, head off North Korea. Anyway, let's get to the news with Marshall Phillips. No, 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 not at all. We now know what lit up the sky last night. Bright light in the sky right around sunset. Everybody on social media talking about it. And this morning we found out what it was. Skywatchers, hoping to see a rocket launch from Vandenberg Air Force Base, got to see a meteor instead when the launch was scrubbed. Yeah, saw a big orange flash with a bunch of sparklies behind it. It looked like a piece of space junk fell through the sky and burned up. Really beautiful, uh, but I have no clue what it was. Thanks. Well, it was extraordinary. I mean, it yeah. was different than anything I have ever seen. It was bigger and brighter and all curly-cued and right. everything, and it was just weird. But it is pretty weird that so many people were looking that direction for a rocket launch when it happened. Doesn't right. that seem like a heck of a coincidence? It does. It does. The Martians know exactly what they're doing, Jack. <laughs> the Martians. <laughs> they're sending a message. <laughs> Quit crashing microwave ovens on wheels onto our planet with sensors and stuff. We're going to start doing it to you. 
Now, so they, there was a scheduled rocket launch. It's yeah. canceled, but then there's something that looks like a rocket in the sky. Yeah. I mean, doesn't, come on now. What's going on there? Uh, you got Dr. Edwin Krupp, the director of the Griffith Observatory, saying that the uh, streak across the sky was a bolide meteor, likely small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. Wow, really? A bolide. Really? Extremely bright meteor, especially one that explodes in the atmosphere. That's incredible. So that's what uh, that's what they, they are saying. The astronomers are now saying. Because something the size of like a baseball caused yeah. that. Wow. Because it was going so fast, it's that bright? It's a fireball about as bright as the full moon, they're saying. Wow. And what was that scientist's name? Uh, Ed, Edwin Krupp. Oh, Mr. Krupp. Fans of the uh, Captain Underpants series will recognize that name. Yes, absolutely. Tra-la-la. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, you know, I haven't mentioned this. Little D got home last night. Our youngest, our college kid, uh, flew home last night. Oh, it's a festive evening. So great to see her. Although she brought home a surprise. Oh. Mm. What, mm. what is that? Are you going to tell us? Mm. Or? Yeah, I, I got to th- make sure I'm cleared. Okay. Reveal it. Jeez. Uh, yeah, well, things have changed. I, I, I will, I, I'll throw out guesses, but you're not required to respond to them. Or would you rather I didn't? <laughs> oh, just, go ahead. I'm just, I, uh, you don't, don't no need to respond. Cause okay. The, 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 you know, because if you say no to two and then silence for the other one, that doesn't work. Right. Um, I think uh, uh, young college kids might often come home with the surprise of uh, a tattoo of some sort is a possibility for men. Maybe an earring that didn't exist before. Different or hair, piercing, a, a, yeah, a, a, a different sort of piercing, a change yes. in major to rodeo clowning, or, <laughs> or or a very starkly different haircut. I think those are common things that college kids come home with. Interesting. Mm. Uh, left out engagement ring. Oh, that's a good one. Uh-huh. That's a good uh, one. Yeah. Uh, a new uh, horrifying political uh, beliefs. <laughs> yep. Is very very pregnant, yeah. like waddlingly pregnant. Oh, good lord! <laughs> Not with your daughter, but could happen. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. All right, switching gears back to Syria now in reaction to President Trump's decision to withdraw troops from that country. That has really rattled Washington's Kurdish allies, who are its most reliable partner in Syria among the most effective ground forces battling ISIS. Kurds in northern Syria said commanders and fighters met well into the night discussing their response to Wednesday's surprise announcement. Lindsey Graham had this response to it. We have betrayed our Kurdish allies. If this decision stands, if it's reversed, I'll be the first one to applaud the president because that's true leadership. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the easiest way to argue me, argue me out of this is that uh, the Kurds could get up being slaughtered by Turkey, and that would be a disaster and just, oh. just, and just an injustice, just oh, an yeah. unbelievable injustice. Well, and what's really odd about this, and again, I've been a pretty staunch defender of a lot of Trump foreign policy, and and I think a lot of his impulses are really good, but it was just last week that some of our heavyweights said that, yeah, it's months away from defeating the last Islamic State pockets in southern Syria, near Iraq, because there are still twenty to 30,000 fighters there, ISIS guys, never mind Al-Qaeda, because Al-Qaeda, according to our own estimates, is now more dangerous in that region than ISIS is. Um, and and also that we reiterated that the uh, the Kurdish dominated uh, guys that the fighting force are valued uh, allies who would not be deserted. That was just in the last week we re pledged that. 
You know, we, so we, we said it the first time we invaded Iraq in the early 90s, and then we left the Kurds to be, a you know, uh, slaughtered by and, and Saddam Hussein. In the, and the South. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's not a good precedent to set. I don't know. We're going to talk to Mike Lyons, military analyst, next hour, what his opinion is on it. The Fed announced a fourth interest rate hike this year, and the market swooned. The move reflecting the U.S. economy's continued strength, but the Fed uh, also signaled... Swooned? Are you working my corner? (laughs) (laughs) That's my bit, Marshall. (laughs) But the Fed also signaled that they don't expect to uh, raise uh, rates as often next year. So all three major indices at a one-year low, 52-week low yesterday, which is uh, worth noting. And good time now to step in for Positive Sean's one-word market update. Uh, The market is treacherous. It's treacherous at the moment. <laughs> treacherous. I'd yeah. say it's treacherous. Yeah. A, a, a 52-week low is, is fairly treacherous. Yes. Now, they were in a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation. If they hadn't raised interest rates, the reaction might have been, oh, my God, they don't think the economy can handle an interest rate rise. It's worse than we thought, people. It's fragile. Oh, it's fragile. Right. No. Yeah. And one last note. The majority of Americans in a new poll said they don't want to see the U.S. become more politically correct than it already is. And they're upset, quote, that there are too many things people cannot say anymore. In the Marist Institute for Public Opinion poll, 52% said they oppose the U.S. becoming more PC, including 76% of Republicans, 53% of independents. However, 55% of Democrats favored people showing more sensitivity in how they express their views. Well, I, uh, I'm happy to hear that, I guess, but you're, somebody's going to have to explain that to the Monterey Bay Aquarium where they're being accused of fat shaming and racism for a Twitter pick about an otter. That story oh, coming up later. Lord. Well, listen, uh, that poll makes clear what all of us know anyway, or most of us know anyway, that the people driving the insanity, the stupidity of the social justice warrior thing, the microaggressions and the trigger warnings and the political correctness, all of that, it's a, it's a small group of people. It's a very small group of people. How did they win, uh, though? Well, they're, well, the fight ain't over yet, but they are clustered heavily in media. In TV, in, in, in the newspapers, the news organizations, they are absolutely lousy on college campuses where kids are being influenced. Even if they know in their bones that these people are wrong, they're afraid to speak out. So these people happen to be densest in the positions of great influence, which is unfortunate because there ain't many of them. Emphasis on dense. There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Being called dense is different than being called thick. And apparently if you call an otter thick, that is clearly racism. Even though that's a common expression, I guess. It's uh, an otter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bring you up to speed on that story. Among other things on the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the best one. Nat King Cole. This is my favorite one. This might be my single favorite Christmas song that I ever played as a radio DJ back in the day. Yeah, hard to argue with this one. Uh, the Illinois Catholic Church is horrifying, but that shouldn't be a surprise. And poor uh, uh, Aziz Ansari, one of my favorite comedians, getting lumped in with Louis C.K. again. There's some backlash. About that, kind of interesting, as he's got a new comic special coming out. 
A little more look at Syria as well. Yeah, we've got Mike Lyons, our military analyst, next hour to get into that. Some, all that on the way. On oh, the oh, 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 oh! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant to throw this in. She spent months building her tiny house. Then it was stolen. It was a housejacking. Oh, that's the downside of a tiny, tiny house craze. Yeah, people are thinking that's a good-looking house. They throw it on the back of their pickup and they go. <laughs> throw it on their shoulder and run off with it. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Teddy Show. And every mother's Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. To see Military told President Obama, if you leave now, the radicals that are still around are going to regenerate. And all the people that helped us in Iraq, a lot of them died. Same thing's going to happen in Syria. Lindsey Graham pretty forcefully disagreeing oh with a guy that he often supports, uh, the president, President Trump. And there are some others out there. We'll talk to Mike Lyons next hour about that. As uh, Donald Trump has announced, we're, uh, we're pulling our 2,000 out of Syria. I don't know how much good 2,000 do, but... You know, we got them. We got them spread out over a couple hundred miles. That certainly keeps Russia, for instance, uh, away from those areas because Russia doesn't want to jump ugly with the United States. So. Well, and it's not like they're a bunch of infantry guys. These are special forces and and uh, you know strike specialists who help uh, you know guide the hardware where it ought to be. They're important people. So they got a yeah, interesting. They got a particularly fat otter there at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Fat. Abby is an 11-year-old sea otter found splashing around the Monterey Bay Area Aquarium in Monterey, California. I'm, I was there a couple of weeks ago. Maybe I saw it. One of the great, the great aquariums on Earth. Fabulous. Yeah. Tips to scale, 46 pounds. I guess that's, a, that's a, not unusual yeah, for an yeah, otter, but oh. kind of just the, her body shape. She looks, she looks fat. But when the aquarium recently snapped a picture of Abby lounging on the ground, the angle made her look more like a throw rug than a nimble sea creature, says this article. <laughs> We've all been photographed at an angle that's not flattering, makes us look yeah, heavier. Most, most angles. Heavier than we actually are. Or the opposite, captures exactly how heavy we are, as opposed to the way we present ourselves on purpose to a camera. Right. So that we don't look heavy. Right. Anyway, so the aquarium decided to tweet out the picture and with the caption, Abby is a thick girl, spelled T-H-I-C-C. That's a thing, Sean? Yeah, so probably the the best comparison to this is, uh, what was it, like mid-90s, early 2000s, when fat, P-H-A-T, pretty hot and tempting, was kind of used as a, as slang to describe attractive yes. people. This one, not necessarily uh, an acronym like that one was, but thick is uh, dis- used to describe curvaceous women. I didn't know it was T-H-I-C-C. Anyway, yeah, Abby... that's how you know it's you're not calling somebody fat when you're spelling it out. Oh, okay. right. Gotcha. Abby is a thick girl, said the Monterey Barium Aquarium. Um, but so the backlash began yeah, on, on Twitter. The aquarium was called out for describing Abby with language straight from the memes originating in black culture and African-American vernacular English, A-A-V-E. I was unfamiliar with that acronym. As Af- was I. <laughs> African-American vernacular English ah. that you're I don't think you're allowed to use unless you're black, according to some people. But how black, Elizabeth Warren? I'm certain that the At Monterey Aquarium didn't realize that they were basically comparing black women to animals by using AAVE developed to talk about black women's bodies to describe an animal. 
said someone who decided to. She's an assistant professor of particle physics and cosmology. <laughs> Good for you. Um, assistant professor? Call me back when you get the gig. Plays the real gig. Um, For somebody said of years, the idea was to not be offended by silly stuff. That was how human beings were raised. That she, was known as character. She has a new paper out about the memes of black women and the technological auction block where black women's bodies, aesthetics, and experiences are vilified for viral enjoyment. That sounds like a fun read. Oh, boy. If you walk around all day looking for a fence, you're going to find it. Anyway. Okay? Oh. Give me ten minutes. I'll find you the very same thing with Hispanic women and white women and blonde white women and blonde blue-haired, uh, blue-eyed uh, white women. Not blue-haired so much. Uh, it's just astounding. So this would all just seem silly to me, right? You know, so some people complained yeah. that it's fat-shaming, it's racist, whatever, and I just think, right. yeah, whatever. But the Monterey Aquarium took it more seriously than that. The outrage reached such a pitch that the aquarium issued an apology yesterday. If our tweet alienated, please know that we're deeply sorry and that we offer our sincerest apologies, the aquarium's Twitter account stated. In particular, several terms reference originated from African-American vernacular English, A-A-V-E, so they adopted this as a real thing they should be bothered by, and specifically referenced black women's bodies. Using them in a sea otter name without the background makes insinuations we never intended. No, it doesn't. Uh, no, you're just wrong, you people. You're there, wrong. There's, the problem. there's only one way to combat this sort of stuff, and it is stop apologizing. That's yeah. the only way to combat it. And, well, there, and, there, you, and have the guts to just ignore it. You know what's going to happen to you, Monterey Bay Aquarium, if you just ignore that criticism? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nothing is going to happen. You're not going to have any fewer visitors, or no, nothing's going to happen at all, if you just ignore it, quit reacting to these criticisms, people. At the same time, I can understand they're an organization, a big organization, depends on uh, donated dollars, that seeks to preserve sea life and educate people about the oceans and, and you know the life therein and the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. They don't need the headache. Oh, we offended somebody. Okay, we're sorry. We didn't mean it. We're sorry. Okay. Um, but you're right. It just empowers the lunatics and... Uh, and it, it, you know, fertilizes the ground for them to ruin other people and end other careers. And I it just, yeah, I'd love to see a culture of, oh, leave me alone. But just if everybody would respond like that. The momentum, the, the the tailwind that these, you know, lunatic social justice warrior people have, it would go away completely. So, yeah, I'm with you, but I understand why the aquarium did that. They just don't need the headache. Another brand, Forever 21, faces backlash for using a white model to sell a Black Panther sweater. On Tuesday, the fashion brand uploaded a Twitter photo of a blonde, blue-eyed male sporting a knit sweater inscribed with the Black Panther slogan, Wakanda Forever. Wakanda is the uh, fictional country of origin of the Black Panther characters. The post quickly sparked an online debate about whether this was an example of cultural appropriation and a lack of inclusivity or something like that. Forever 21, of course, reacted to this as if it's a real thing. And uh, took down the tweet and the picture and has since apologized for using a white model to model a sweater. Going away from my suggestion that you ignore these things because I don't think anything would ever happen. Forever 21 takes feedback on our products and market extremely seriously. We celebrate all superheroes with many different models, blah, 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 blah. And they took down the tweet. So there you go. There's two organizations reacting to nonsense, which I think is a mistake. 
Any grown-ass man who's wearing any sort of movie t-shirt is an embarrassment. <laughs> I had to check to see what t-shirt I was wearing I'm wearing today. a San Francisco no offense, 49ers John. t-shirt today, so is that okay? I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Impeach Van Buren. Awesome. <laughs> Honestly. We will talk to Mike Lines, a military analyst, about uh, Trump's move to pull out of Syria, which uh, one of the reasons it's getting so much attention is it's happening right now. He's ordered it to, to be accomplished in 30 days. So, I mean, any debate about whether this is going to continue or not needs to happen, like, right now. And she spent two years building a tiny house, then thieves wheeled it away. (laughs) I feel sorry for her already. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.